Welcome to Hellfighter Cast. Today we got Brandon LaBeouf coming on to talk about Null Attack and what he's got going on with Haley Strategic Partners. As usual, this show is brought to you by Aries Gear. If you care at all about having a very effective belt for your carry system and you want to look cool at the same time, you need to go to AriesGear.com. So sit back, relax, listen to the show, and while you're listening, scroll around on your phone at AriesGear.com. Buy me something while you're there. Unless you're driving. If you're driving, of course, pull over and then go to AriesGear.com. Hello, welcome to GunfighterCast, episode number 77. Just Daniel here today, but uh, I got a special guest today, Brennan LaBeouf. How you doing, Brennan? Doing good, man. Glad to be here. Cool. Glad to have you. We uh, went through some pains trying to get you on, but I'm glad you made time to, to come on here and tell the listeners what you got going on and how you can serve them. Yeah, a little bit of technical uh, difficulties. Luckily, no uh, wardrobe malfunctions, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can't have that. What we're going to do, basically, is just kind of caveat off of my uh, training and trainer series we did before. Been talking to Brandon quite a bit on Facebook, and I don't know how we became friends on Facebook. I think it was one of those things where you had these guys. All your friends are friends with this guy, so you should be friends with him, too. And somehow we became friends, and I uh, made a little Kydex holder for my Nike sensor, and he saw that. He's like, I need something to put mine in. Uh, he was in Afghanistan at the time, so... I made him one and sent it out there to him, and uh, I guess uh, we were buddies after that. And I, that was much appreciative. Uh, you know, I definitely um, I wish I had gotten more use out of it. I'm sure my wife probably wishes I had too, but it's actually still sitting on my, uh, on, on my, on my running shoes. I probably need to go on ahead and break it out if the battery is even still good in the little Nike Air thing. Oh, it should be good. It'll work. Brandon's got a lot of stuff going on. He's got his hands in all kinds of different things. has his own company and also works for uh, Haley Strategic Partners. You're in, well, I'm not going to tell you about it. Brandon can probably tell him about himself a lot more than I can talk about him. So, Brandon, give us a little bit about your background and why would someone want to listen to you? Yeah, I guess a little bit of your resume. Man, I wish somebody would tell me why people might want to listen to me. <laughs> I, uh, it's not a very <laughs> exciting story, but uh, basically graduated high school at about uh, 7 o'clock at night and was on a plane at 6 o'clock the next morning heading to San Diego for a Marine Corps boot camp because, of course, at that point I was just a a troubled youth who my life was so horrible that I just had to escape to the Marine Corps. And of course, within about a week of being there, I realized I, I didn't quite know how good I had it back home. Uh, but definitely one of the one of the better decisions I made in my life was uh, joining the Marine Corps. I uh, went in reserves initially, came back to New Orleans, was assigned as a, as a radio operator. Did that at, at one of our uh, line units, one of our infantry units here in New Orleans. Uh, started getting into tactical air control, forward observer type stuff. Uh, then at some point, I met an individual who was on the Marine Corps Rifle and Pistol shooting teams. I, of course, love shooting. Uh, like most young men down here in Louisiana, I, I got into shooting with my dad taking me on the canal, shooting at uh, pretty much anything that was floating in the water. So from a very, very uh, young age, was always into firearms and part of the reason why I joined the Marine Corps. But nevertheless, we uh, it, we started talking and come to find out they needed someone to assist them with teaching the uh, PMI school, which, as you know, is the, the Marine Corps' version of kind of a, the you know master firearms instructor, and went up to Quantico and, and kind of just assisted, just kind of hung out, was kind of a little range mouse, and hit it off pretty well with all the guys there, and they invited me to try out for the team, so I tried out for the teams. Uh, I apparently shot just good enough to get on, and uh, pretty much worked there every summer, uh, putting on uh, anywhere from two to three different PMI courses each year, which was very personally rewarding because... We were actually training the Marines that were going to go out and train other Marines. So um, I really enjoyed that. And that's kind of what got me into the uh, into the whole teaching thing. 
meanwhile, while I was back home in the in the reserves, I was uh, working almost wherever I was. I was always doing something with law enforcement. Worked at to probably for the last fifteen years have been been involved in some some form of law enforcement. Uh, really enjoyed that. It allowed me to do more teaching uh, that law enforcement arena. And then one one bright day, a friend of mine just said, "Hey man, uh, why don't we?" Uh, why don't we put on a course? I was like, well, what do you mean? He was like, uh, why don't we invite some of these other instructors to come down here and host a course and we can get a, uh, we can get a free seat out of it. I was like, okay, I'm, the, I'm always down for some training. I'm like, who do you want to bring? And he's like, uh, these Magpul Dynamics guys. I'm like, who are they? And he, uh, he basically popped a DVD in. And of course, anyone who's probably picked up a carbine has probably heard of the Magpul Dynamics, um, the art of series of DVDs. And Next thing I knew, we had uh, Chris Carlson, Travis Haley down here, uh, instructed a course, hit it off with those guys. Of course, Travis being a being a Marine as well, Force Recon Marine, we uh, we kind of had a lot in common and j- just kind of started a friendship from there. Came down, taught a bunch more courses over the years, and then uh, when I was in Afghanistan uh, a year ago, I went over to do a uh, a private military contracting gig as a, as an instructor, teaching the uh, Afghanistan Border Patrol, kind of the, their version of the Border Patrol. Uh, he at that point had had uh, separated from Magpul Dynamics and was starting his own company again, uh, Haley Strategic Partners, and we were just talking via Skype, and we was ready. He was ready to get rolling, so I was like, "Hey, man, I'll be back home in about a month." Though as soon as my, the plane touched down, I think I was home for about three or four days, packed the bag, and then we were on the road on the road teaching. So uh, I help him out over at Haley Strategic as the uh, director of training. I handle pretty much everything on the training side of the house and. You know, most people don't know that we have a actually three major divisions. We have, of course, the training, which is what most people see publicly. Then we have the marketing division, which is really big and really strong and doing great. Uh, we we are the marketing firm for for Bravo Company. Um, we work with a lot of other well known companies in the industry. Um, and then, of course, we have our products division, which uh, we have a series of light mounts out. Um, we'll have some other stuff coming out that I can't necessarily divulge all the details about, but I think it'll be pretty exciting here in the next few weeks. Um, and then a bunch of other stuff on the, on the table. So I kind of try to put my hands into all of that as, you know, as much as it is in my lane, but, um, primarily handle the training stuff. So deal with all the hosts, handle the schedule and travel the most of the courses, uh, with Travis. I think I made every one, but one this past year. Um, in fact, we're going to be in San Jose next week, uh, doing a, a disruptive environments course. And then uh, I think we got one more course for the year. And then I, we just released the training schedule for 2013, I think a day or two ago. And uh, we're somewhere around 28 or 29 events currently on the schedule. We brought on some partners. Uh, we, we have some adjunct guys that we're working with to try to kind of spread it out a little bit and, and, and try to get the material out to more people, as well as a partner with Ron Avery, who is an extremely accomplished uh, competition law enforcement guy. Um, plenty of years teaching law enforcement and military. Um, you know, master class, grandmaster class, it was a shooter, uh, just an, an all-around great guy, very, very knowledgeable in, the, in what he calls the science of reactive shooting, which really gets into the deep, deep tissue, the nuts and bolts of the most efficient mechanical way to do things. And, uh, you know, every, every time I'm around him, I pick up something new. So, yeah, like you said, man, plenty of things going on. And, of course, you know, when I'm not running around the country with Travis, I'm back here in Louisiana I just purchased, or uh, actually about a year ago, purchased an indoor shooting range that has been closed since uh, Katrina. Kind of a, in my opinion, historical little landmark down here. It was a range right next to the to the base I was stationed at, and where I did almost all my my practice for the uh, handgun stuff for the pistol team. 
And um, I was able to get a hold of that range, so we're in the process of renovating it. In fact, I've got a city council meeting on Tuesday to get my zoning and permitting and all that fun stuff done. But we're looking to get that back open to primarily uh, serve the concealed handgun, home defense market, um, and, and just to provide an o- overall information. I want it to truly be a training place first, but it will, of course, be open to the public as a, a 13-lane. It's currently configured as a 13-lane indoor pistol range. Uh, full retail. We're going to have uh, concealed handgun courses, all manner of personal defense courses, unarmed knife, medical courses, security courses. You know how to how to physically harden your home, how to pick a security system, all that kind of good stuff. Um, also, in other parts of the building, we're kind of uh, kind of getting it set up where we'll have a kind of a padded type dojo style room for some of the unarmed stuff we'll be doing, as well as some force on force. And then we have another section that is going to be built out kind of like a shop. If you uh, if you had a kind of a high school automotive shop, it will kind of be the same way, but it will be for guns. We'll have it set up in multiple reloading benches, uh, multiple workstations, so that other guys can come in and teach armors courses, teach reloading courses. And if a guy wants to build an AK or he wants to build an AR, you know, the majority of the tools will be there. He just kind of has to bring his supplies and There'll be somebody there to kind of assist them along the way, um, because a lot of guys want to do that because it's it is cost of you know it's pretty pretty cost effective. But obviously you got to make sure you're doing it right just for for safety reasons and just because you want you want to make a good product. You want to be something you can be proud of and you're carrying it. And you know it's going to work when you need it to. And uh, there may be a, come a time where you're the only guy that can work on it. So if you built it, you probably have a pretty good understanding of how it functions. So. We just want to be able to provide a place for guys to do that safely and and to get a little bit of guidance along the way. Um, and then all kind of other fun stuff as well, but that, that's kind of the big stuff going on right now with me. Uh, in Brennan's modesty, he failed to mention that he was a TV star. Can you tell us a little <laughs> bit about that? Yeah, a little bit. I, I worked on a uh, program called Trigger Time that aired on the uh, on the Sportsman's Channel. It was uh, 13 episodes, I think. I think we're, um, we're we're probably getting into the last one or two episodes left for the season. Really, really cool project. Um, it um, the kind of the premise of it was it involved uh, four kind of disciplines or four components. There was a uh, a personal defense slash uh, concealed carry component, which I was the host of. There was a home defense component, which Rob Pincus was the host of, and a um, a tactical component that had. Um, some great guys, another Marine and um, you know another SWAT guy. Both of them are, are SWAT officers down in the uh, Memphis area. Uh, Ronin Combat Strategies, um, Jason Long and uh, Jason Redding, two re- really squared away guys. And then the, we had a survival component that was uh, hosted by Jim Gillian, who is, uh, for those that don't know, is a, a record-holding uh, sniper in the Army. He currently holds the record for the longest uh, confirmed kill with a, a 308 in Iraq. And he um, he kind of handled it. He's a, a big preparedness guy. He's a, he's you know really into to being self sufficient, and he um, he hosts that part. And I was, I was fortunate enough to kind of be able to also associate produce a little bit of that. So I got to see Ronan shoot all their stuff. Got to see Jim shoot a lot of his. Of course, anyone that knows Rob Pinkus knows he's on TV all the time. So he's kind of an old hat at it. Um, and you know he put out some great information. So yeah, it was a really cool project. I won't be in. I won't be a part of season two. I've got some other stuff going on. Um, but, but, um, it, it was fun, man. It was, it was a great learning experience. And I, I really liked the concept that there was that, you know, kind of different disciplines, if you will, uh, where you could kind of take a little bit of something, something from everybody. So it was cool. It was fun. I was glad to be a part of it. Hey, let's step outside the program here for just a second. Cause you seem to be a bit passionate about the, uh, one of the things you talked about there, 
you kind of breeze through most of the other stuff, but then when you got to the preparedness thing, you, you kind of focused on that quite a bit. And the uh, last episode that we did in Gunfighter Cast, actually the last two we've mentioned preparedness, and we've done various episodes on you know personal preparedness and having a plan and, and uh, bugging in, bugging out, all that stuff. In light of the, the recent elections and possibilities of, of political climate and, and you know other issues that are going on, is there anything you're really concerned about as far as uh, from a preparedness aspect that you're kind of doing more, like getting maybe stocking up on a little bit more ammo because it's going to get expensive or harder to get, or you know long-term food storage? Is there anything that, that you do, and what do you recommend? Absolutely. Um, of course, like I said, I live in New Orleans, and I was here and a police officer, and I, I was kind of in a weird position because I was technically on active duty, but I was in the process of getting out. So I, I was on active duty with the Marines and here in New Orleans, but I was working as a reserve with one of the local police departments. So when Katrina came, I was basically told I was actually out of town the weekend it came. Um, I, you know, I just was doing actually a canoe trip with some friends, and I came back into town the Saturday before the storm hit, and the, the command called me and said, "Hey, man, we're all evacuating. You need to get out." And of course, being born down here, I was like, "Whatever, y'all, y'all are completely overreacting." I just kind of, kind of gaffed it off to be quite honest, and uh, went on about my business. And finally, I got a call Sunday morning saying, "Hey, here's the deal. You will leave right now, or." We're going to have to send somebody to come get you, and it's not going to be nice. I was like, all right, all right. So I loaded everything into my vehicle, um, headed on out, and uh, we went straight to uh, Lafayette. And I was up there for about three days when the levees broke. And that was pretty much when things really kind of took a turn for the worse. Um, at that point, I started calling up because I had, of course, all my firearms and ammunition. Those were the main things I kind of took with me when I went along with some personal items. And I started calling because that was back in the days of Nextel. And the only thing that was working for us comm-wise was, was Nextel uh, Direct Connect. So some of my, my PD guys, I called them. I was like, hey, man, how y'all doing? And they were like, uh, it's, it's bad, man. I was like, well, is it like it is on the news? They're like, no, it's a little worse. I was like, really? What do y'all need? And they're like, 12-gauge uh, slugs and 45 rounds. I was like, wow, okay. So I contacted the command, and, and um, I was a staff NCO at, at the time, and they, uh, again, I was in the process of getting out, so they were kind of like, well, just just be careful. I was like, all right, so I, I, I hauled butt back down here, and um, it was pretty much like they said. It was pretty bad. Uh, we fought through it. We got through it. We were fortunate because my, uh, my department, while very small, was extremely forward-thinking and had secured some, uh, secured some assets. So we, as an agency, were not in as bad of a situation as, say, uh, New Orleans PD was or some of the other agencies, and we actually ended up becoming literally the law enforcement hub for the entire response effort um, because of our level of preparedness. And we literally had every functioning law enforcement agency, all the, all the East Coast, West Coast, Northeast guys that came down, countless federal agencies, all came down and kind of operated our, our little, bitty, little bitty podunk apartment. Um, and I learned a lot from that experience. Um, of course, you know, we've always lived with a certain level of preparedness because hurricanes are a constant threat. I, you know, learned a lot about water. I learned a lot about, you know, having food ready to go, you know, beyond just, you know, expecting to grab a case of MREs. I, I actually just built a brand new home that my wife and I moved into earlier this year. And there's a whole room that was built and purpose built and designed specifically to store preparedness stuff. Um, you know, to your, your question directly about the election, all that and ammunition, um, I've been, you know, being a professional in, in the field, I've always kind of done what I could do to keep some ammo on the side because I'm always practicing, always shooting, or always giving somebody ammo or, or doing something. So I've, I've got, a, a, you know, enough stuff to sustain me for a while because I've been working on it for several years. Uh, when I see it, saw a good deal and I had the money, I bought it. That being said, of course, I, you know, I have many friends that are on, on the ammunition side of the house, uh, manufacturers, and, you know, literally the morning after the election, I had one of them call me because they were supporting us on the 
the HSP side. We have a strategic partnership with them. And you're like, hey, man, straight up, what do y'all need for next year? Because it, it, we, we literally just got bought out. So within 24 hours, like an entire ammunition manufacturing facility was basically contracted out. Like, all right, we want everything you got. I don't know who got it, but um, there's definitely some people, you know, people definitely knee-jerked off of that. Um, part of being prepared, though, is being Guilty. prepared. <laughs> you know, not not reacting, but being proactive. Um, I think some people are starting to see that. That being said, I don't think it'll be nearly as bad as it was in 08. That was bad. I think we've had four years for manufacturers to hopefully learn their lesson. So there's a little bit of uh, it's going to be a little bit of, of, of spike immediately following. I think it will level off a lot more quickly now than it did in 08 because those guys, part of them from a business standpoint, realized we lost a lot of money by not having supply. And if, if properly maintained, we all know ammo doesn't really go bad. So as long as they are pumping, and they've been pumping out pretty much since 2008. Everybody I know on, on the ammunition side, they haven't decreased production at all. It's not like in, in you know 10 or 11, they said, well, we're going to take a break. <laughs> no, man, they've been cranking constantly. And we saw prices dip a little bit prior to the election. But uh, but no, man, I don't think things will go full, full retard until, uh, until, unless there's serious talk about an assault weapons ban. Then we'll see some... We'll see some stuff then, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, I think it'd be prudent to buy a few lower receivers. Did that a few months ago. I've got a little bit of ammo stock, and I just bought some more ammo after the election, but not an incredibly large amount. But I, that's you brought up a lot of good points there from the Katrina thing. You know, we talk about zombies. We talk about, you know, civil war. We talk about just crazy stuff all the time and kind of like a, a worst-case scenario. But the reality is you could have a hurricane. You know, you could have something like, Superstorm Sandy. And what we talked about recently on the show was how the very day after everybody needed gas suddenly because they didn't have gas in their car the day before the storm got there, or they were didn't have any water the very next day, or they were staying alive because of mercy chefs and they, they didn't have any food storage to even survive a day. They were already hungry. That's incredible that someone could be that unprepared. Well, it's a mindset thing. It, you know, like you said, I think the, the one that most, most clearly displays it to me is, you know, finding yourself without fuel. I mean, common sense tells you the vehicle will not run without fuel. So all you need to do is have the mindset to say, well, I'm not going to let it get below a half a tank. The problem is, is life happens and we, you know, well, I'm just going to go run a store. Or, oh man, I'm running late dropping the kids off. Or we just keep pushing it back because we know right now we can just go another, you know, quarter mile and there's another gas station until we can't. And that, that's what I think those people saw. And, and, you know, there's other things going on. If they lived actually in the city, you know, there, there's issues with, with space. You know, a lot, most of those people live in apartments. It's very difficult. You know, they have, you know, policies, rental agreements where they, they can't store flammables in the, in the apartment. So people like that, it's even more important for them to have a proactive mindset of, you know, I'm not going to let myself get below a quarter tank and just always keep it. And then if I am out at three quarters of a tank, what can I do with three quarters of a tank? How far can I go? Once I load my vehicle up with all my, you know, bronze coated baby boots and, you know, all the stuff I can't live without, then how far can I get with three quarters of a tank with an extra 600, 800 pounds of stuff in a car? Heaven forbid to be one of us guys that's going to load, you know, 1500 pounds of ammo in the back of a, of a suburban, you know? So no, man, that, that's, that's the main thing is, is, is mindset. Uh, having it ready now. You know, doing what you can do, prioritizing your budget. I mean, it'd be great if, if I could say, you know what, I want to be prepared and then write a check for $50,000 to make sure I've got 
all the food and a, and a cistern and, and water purification and all those little checklist of things. But, you know, that that's unrealistic for, for yeah, most yeah. people I know. So you got to start small, man, and just keep building it up and never stop. It becomes a, it becomes a lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, I brought up something in the last show, and I guess I'll be redundant a little bit just because I, I really think it's a great idea. Uh, shelfreliance.com. I, I set up a little thing to where I have shipments coming every, like, twice a month. They take money out of my account on this, the day I told them to, and they send a shipment to where I tell them to send it. And uh, I got a whole plan for six months worth of food storage and budgeted over time that I've set up these shipments buying the food that I want and stuff last 25 years. That's a great idea, man. And like you said, it, it, it becomes an issue of priority. I know every month the cable company takes money out of my account. I know every month, you know, my cell phone, you know, takes all this data. And I've got, I mean, it comes down to where depending on who you are and what your budget is, you just got to prioritize. And, you know, we always kind of want to put it off, put it off. I mean, I can tell you right now, personally, one of the things we just had this last storm here, uh, a couple or in August, we were actually teaching a course in it, oddly enough, but, um, all right immediately to it before it started getting aware oh, okay maybe it's time we go inside but a generator i mean i've got obviously you know ex- external generators but when I, when I built this house one of the things that that kind of got cut in the budget was having a a 100 dedicated home generator with you know a transfer automatic transfer switch and that kind of got pushed to the to the wayside for some other security features i wanted and some other things and but it, it didn't get off it just got pushed to the side and this last uh, hurricane, luckily I had, you know, I did have regular generators and I, we were able to get by and everything was, 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 was relatively nice. But it just re-brought it back up to the surface of I really need to get those generators done because my problem is while my wife knows how to run a generator, um, I travel a lot, obviously. And I could just as easily be caught at a course on the West Coast when a hurricane hits here as any other time. And I want life to be as easy for her and I want to take as many processes out of the equation so she could focus more on just kind of the security and the awareness. If she doesn't have to go outside and break, because I have a, a relatively secure home um, physically, if she doesn't have to break through that security to go outside and crank start a generator, that's one less thing she has to worry about. That's one less thing I have to worry about coming into my my environment. So you know, I, that's why I prioritize the way I do. But we uh, we got a bunch of neighbors together. And we were going to do kind of a group buy on generators. So we all we all save on it. And then the other benefit is that we all have kind of the same generator. So we all know. And if, if I'm not home and my neighbor needs to come help my wife or he's not home and he needs me to help him, we, we've kind of got a little collective there of people that can, can hopefully help each other out if they need it. So basically what you're suggesting is take a look at needs that could possibly arise, things that could realistically happen that are practical. Make a list of everything that you may need to counter all these problems and solve your problems, and then prioritize and start fixing those things. Kind of like you pushed your generator to the side for other things, but it's still going to come back up. It's still on the list of priorities. It just didn't quite make the top. Absolutely, man. And that, that's life, you know. Same thing. Yep, I mean, yep. I, my wife and I don't have any children, so pretty much uh, my money is is her money, and I get what's left. But we, uh, you know, we we don't have that factor to worry about yet, and that allows me to kind of be a little more aggressive. And, and how I prepare because we do plan on having children one day. So when that money has to be redirected, I'll already hopefully be at a better state of preparedness than if I had just kept putting it off and buying brand new cars and, you know, 60 inch TVs. That's nice, but that's not going to help me when I don't have electricity to run those TVs. That's right. All right. Well, let's get back on the uh, program. I, I don't know if you listen to much Gunfighter Cast, but we, uh, we don't write scripts. We just kind of shoot from the hip and I noticed that good comes up. We talk about it. <laughs> Uh, it can go anywhere. 
tell us a little bit about Null Attack, what you got going on there, and basically what you can provide for people that are in your local area or out of state that want to come down there as far as your hosting courses and, you know, what you do yourself. Absolutely. Uh, Null Attack is something I started because, I, of course, I was into guns and I had been doing some instructing and I figured, you know, the military has paid me a lot of money and spent a lot of money to train me. And at the end of the day, that's pretty much everybody's money and everybody's knowledge. So why don't I, I try to give a little bit of that back? And, and quite selfishly, I, I, I enjoy it. So it made me feel good to, to teach people and, you know, to, uh, to, to spread that knowledge. Well, I started Null Attack primarily to do concealed handgun courses. I noticed there was somewhat of a of a deficiency in the quality of courses that were being put out there. A lot of guys were just kind of doing it to make a quick hundred bucks off of people here and there. Yep. And I I just think that that you owe people more than that. But besides the integrity component of you should, I, I truly do believe you should always give more than is expected of you. You should always try to do more than is expected. And part of that's a you know kind of what I hang on from the Marine Corps. It really really did. Uh, really did impact me, you know, the integrity part and the character part. It, it truly did shape me as a person. So I, I carry that through life, and, and I've, I've, it's proven to be very successful. I, I've gotten a lot further in life from people respecting that about me than, than trying to be the cutthroat, shrewd businessman. I mean, because I can do that. It's just, it just doesn't make me feel good at the end of the day. Um, so I went out and, and started doing, doing the concealed handgun courses, did quite a few of them. Uh, one, you know, just one example is the, you know, the, our state, Louisiana, requires the course to be nine hours long. It requires certain information to be passed and then a, a qualification, a firearms qualification. And there were plenty, plenty of dudes, more more than not, that were just, uh, you show up, you watch an NRA DVD, you go to the range and you shoot and you were done in three or four hours and you got your certificate. And there's two problems with that. One, I, I think it's wrong. I think it's unethical to do that. Uh, two, it's it's clearly illegal. And, and probably a third would be those people, because they don't know any better, are walking away thinking they are mentally prepared to deal with a, a lethal force encounter. And and while we can't ever really prepare someone mentally for it, we can we can say, hey, look, here are some things we have seen that tend to happen, and here's some, some consistencies. You know, each lethal force encounter is going to be different for each person. But they didn't even know when they could and couldn't shoot from a legal standpoint. Um and what these instructors, I guess, didn't have a healthy respect for, or some of them probably didn't even have a knowledge of, is that if this person does find himself in that, that worst-case scenario and they do have to, to take another human life in defense of themselves, then the very next person that's probably going to be subpoenaed, as soon as they say, no, 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 it was self-defense, I have a permit, is going to be, oh, you have a permit? They're going to they're going to immediately attack that person from a training standpoint is what we generally see. Um, and that's, that's another thing I do is I, I do do some expert testimony, um, on firearms, law enforcement. In fact, I'm, I'm doing a grand jury one here for an officer involved shooting in the next few weeks. Um, because we, we, while we can't predict what's going to happen or we can't say you will, you will have auditory exclusion. You will experience tunnel vision. We do know those things tend to happen, but I, I've talked to people who have been in more than one shooting and each one of those was different. Some they had tunnel vision, some they didn't. The catch, though, is is each one of them was a legitimate shooting because they, they made a good decision. And the only way you can make good decisions is you have to have the information to make those decisions. And when you when you think you're, you know, quote unquote, hooking somebody up by giving them a four hour course when the state requires nine and nine isn't even close to being enough to cover the information they want required, you're not doing them a service. You're doing them a disservice. So we started doing that. And then we 
you know, we kind of started writing articles and doing doing different stuff just to continue to try to get information out. And then, like I was saying earlier, uh, a friend of mine said, "Hey, why don't we host one of these courses?" Uh, we did it and went off really, really well. And we did it again and again and again. And each time, it got a little bit better because we, we were very receptive of feedback from the instructors that came down, as well as the students who attended. And kind of our goal was, you know, we had both been uh, countless training events, and it was basically you show up at eight o'clock in the morning. You drag your gear out the car for the first half a day. Everybody's kind of just quiet, doing their own thing. Then the little clicks start to form. And then next thing you know, the day's over. And sorry, guys, see you all tomorrow at 8 in the morning. And, and it, it was very mechanical. And it, and it just, you know, some people, that was their first course. So there was a huge learning curve, not just on the material being presented, but how to effectively and efficiently even set yourself up to get a lot out of a course. So we said, you know what we're going to do? We're, we're going to eliminate everything for those people except pulling a trigger. So we'll handle all the logistics stuff. So we started catering meals. Um, we started reaching out to people that we knew in the industry, gear manufacturers, to say, hey, look, you know, some of these people, you know, they're showing up with just substandard gear just because they don't know any better. They knew they wanted to go to a course, so they spent $100 at the gun show on some, you know, airsoft vest, and they thought that that was going to work for them, and it's, it's not their fault. They just didn't know. So let's try to get some good gear in our hands. So we reached out to our partners like uh, G-Code, uh, HSGI, High Speed Gear, uh, Slip 2000, Impro- I mean, a bunch of different companies kind of said, yeah, man, we could do that. So they started supporting us with gear, and each student would come to the course and leave with a, with a goodie bag, which, hey, you know, who doesn't like free stuff? But it was really more to say not only – that is just free stuff for you to leave like a conference. This is stuff you need to take a serious look at. Not necessarily going to work for everybody, but here's a place to start. Um, and those partnerships just kept growing. Those companies started you know, feeling good about helping people. They started seeing a return because those, those students were saying, man, you know, that is good gear. And, it, and you know, we took information from the instructors. It's like, hey, you know, what, what would you use for this? What would you use for that? And uh, then we kind of started getting known a little bit more for hosting our courses uh, this last course we just hosted was a, was a Halo Strategic course, an HSP course in August. Uh, it was our Disruptive Environments Handgun Low Light Vehicle course, followed by our Disruptive Environments Carving course, which got cut a day short because of uh, because of the hurricane. But it was an interesting course because uh, it was truly environmental. We got to deal with all the initial phases of the hurricane. Then most of the students, we had uh, secured a, a kind of cabin-type campground area that had uh, five cabins on it. So the majority of the students kind of all stayed at the cabins. Uh, Travis and I stayed at the cabins, and it was just a real cool environment. And uh, everybody had a good time. We, we kind of went through a little little mini you know HSTF situation there. When the storm came, we all rode it out there, and then we kind of extracted out once the, uh, once the roads cleared and everybody could make it to the airport. Um, and that, that's, that's a big component of it, too, is the, is the kind of the camaraderie that we try to create in these courses where, you know, we have a lot of students that come back to, to the, the, the courses we host at NOLATAC that have been to that exact same curriculum already. And, you know, they've told us, no, man, we just come back because it's fun. It's, we want to see everybody that was here, you know, and, and, and hey, by the way, we learned some stuff too, so. At nighttime, is there bonfires and, like, beer involved? There is. Within, you know, obviously within well, reason. I'm, 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 I'm I was sold already, already, but now I'm really sold. <laughs> you just wanted to confirm it? The one, the one in, um, the one in August was really cool because that was the first time we did it. It's uh, it's called Berry Creek Cabins, and the guys, it's his private property. He's got five, five cabins, a little pond, um, kind of a party deck that has a hot tub and a, you know, like a little party room that's got its own little bar in it. And you know, those were night courses, so we get in late and we wouldn't really go to, uh, 
you know, back to the range of probably about two. And, and again, it's, you know, everyone there is adults. And that's, that's kind of one of the things that, that Travis and I believe in is, you know, particularly with law enforcement, uh, concealed handgun permit people, you know, you get up every day and you put on a gun. You know, you accept that responsibility. When you come to a course, nothing changes. You're still responsible for your actions. Obviously, we're going to have safety measures in place and redundancy, but we don't want you to be scared of your gun. It's the same thing. There's nothing wrong with coming back, relaxing after a hard day of training, having a drink or two, having a case or two. Yeah, probably a bad idea. And, you know, that's not going to, that doesn't happen in any event we have, but we want everyone to have a good time and relax. And I, I, I've gotten a lot of feedback from students that say, man, you know, you have no idea how much learning actually takes place off the range. When we're sitting down eating lunch and guys start kind of asking, you know, more in-depth stories or other students start telling stories of encounters they've been in or experiences they've had with specific gear. Um, you know, everybody learns from that. Travis and I learned from that. I mean, we, we, you know, there's things we, we do in classes today that we didn't do in classes two months ago because of what we experienced from other students in those two months. You kind of got the squad bay thing going on, you know, from the Marine background. You know all about this. You're living in separate rooms. You got one type of you know camaraderie. You live in a squad bay. Another was if these guys would have went to the winds, went to different hotels and everywhere, then they just saw each other on the range again. Then they got that quiet thing going on again in the morning, and everybody takes like half of the course for anybody to start loosening up. But they come back and hang out, and they're just talking around dinner or something, you know, around the cabin or something. I could really see where that would definitely be some serious learning occurring on both ends. The instructors getting more in touch with the needs of the students. The students getting, uh, you know, more curriculum, more information. Yeah, and it's, it's fun, man. You know, as you know, no, no, no homo jokes, but man, you know, cutting up in a hot tub is, you know, guys cracking jokes and you know, there's volleyball nets. I mean, it's just a you know laid back environment. And and the cool thing is, you know, you've always got a diverse group of people in any course. I mean, law enforcement, military, you know, responsibly armed citizens, soccer moms. We, we've had psychologists, we've had MDs, we've had attorneys. So the types of conversations that generate off the range is, 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 is incredible. I mean, we, you know, we go from doing a low light course, you know, to talking, you know, politics or to talking about the psychology, you know, in, in, in lethal force encounters, we've had optometrists that start, you know, really, cause, cause Travis and I get in a lot in the, in the, you know, the, the science behind what our eyes do in low light, but, but to have an actual optometrist come in and, you know, really get in deep. I mean, we learn from that. We're sitting on the edge of our seats listening to that because when we get someone in a course that we, you know, we can, can kind of manipulate to truly give us information. Oh, we do. You know, if, I, if we've got psychologists, we, we absolutely start, start tapping on them for information. And, you know, same thing with doctors or, or people that have, you know, deal with, with specific things, school teachers. I mean, all kind of people. It's just that the information you can get from them in their life experience. Cause that's, that's one thing that we, you know, are very, you know, serious about is you, I've been to courses where I've, you know, walked up to the line on day one and the instructor will come out and, you know, pound his chest and say, I don't care what you've learned before. This is how we're going to do it for these three days. And that's just, that's just unfair because everyone comes to the table with life experience. I don't care if it's their first course ever with a gun. It, they, they have their life and their life has taught them certain things and it has colored the way they view the world. So to tell them that that doesn't matter is, is beyond me and ignorant. It's just, it's flat out disrespectful because they cannot remove that life experience from their mind. They have to learn to operate with that life experience. So it's, I feel it's our job as instructors to make sure that the information we're presenting them fits their life experience. It has to work in their environment because what we're teaching, the trigger pull is the same for a school teacher as it is for 
a guy from SEAL Team 8. But the way we communicate that and the way we make it relevant to those two people has to be different because they don't speak each other's language. And that's, you know, that's what I, where I think we really kind of put the majority of our effort because, the, you know, the kind of the ugly truth of the, of, the, of the training community is the information is the same. Whether you come into our course or Larry Vickers or, you know, Joe Bob's, you know, NRA course, side alignment is side alignment and trigger pull is trigger pull. Everything after that is just articulating it in a manner that makes it understandable and relevant to the person that's hearing it. Some people get it when, you know, Travis tells a, a, a Fallujah story. Some people get it when I communicate it from a law enforcement perspective. Some people get it when one of our, you know, adjuncts talk about it from an engineering standpoint. It's just different things click with different people and having that diversity in ourselves and in our staff you know, helps us reach more people. And that that's our goal is at the end of the day to try to reach as many people and help as many people as we possibly can and however they need it. Sounds good. So where can uh, the listeners find you at on the internet? Uh, you can hit me up if it's an HSP question or issue, Brannon, B-R-A-N-N-O-N at HaleyStrategic.com. If you're looking for something from Noltac, uh, we've got uh, two HSP courses. There. We haven't put them up on our media yet on the Noltac side. But they are, I think, the last week of January, the first week of December. In fact, I'll pull the schedule now. It's going to be a, um, we are doing another Disruptive Environments Handgun Vehicle Low Light. That was a, a very popular course last year. I think it's because everybody has a vehicle. Everybody drives. So that environment, and, and a vehicle is absolutely an environment, is relevant to everyone. It's just relevant to everyone differently. And that's why you'll also see... On our HSP site, we have two um, disruptive environment low light vehicle courses that are law enforcement only, and that's not that's not because it's it's some type of special stuff that you know regular old civilians can't know. It's just that that those courses are specifically tailored to focus on the things that are unique to law enforcement. And what I mean by that is particularly, say for example, vehicles. Obviously, the way that a law enforcement officer operates in a police unit that has uh, you know, lights and sirens and a computer and another computer and all the gear he has in the back and a cage and, and all this stuff is completely different than the way a uh, soccer mom, you know, operates out of a grocery getter. So they both need to know that information and just doing a law enforcement only course allows us to speak to those things and utilize those tools that are specific to law enforcement, dealing with radios, dealing with, you know, how to utilize your, your light bar and different things that, you know, just, just quite frankly, aren't relevant directly to, uh, to anyone but them. So that's what those are about. Uh, cause we, we, we really try not, it's not that we try not to do those. It's just that we try to be as inclusive as possible. Cause with, with those exceptions alone, everything else is pretty much relevant to everybody. Everyone needs to know how to run a gun, uh, be it a long gun or, or a handgun. Um, but the Nol- the Noltec ones will be in uh, in December. We'll be doing the uh, handgun low light uh, carbine one, and I think we have a carbine two and a a um, a uh, handgun one in December. So there'll be uh, the ones in December will be at our our range in Covington. That's the one with the cabins that we uh, that, that that'll be a fun time. It, it really it really I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to all our courses, but that one particularly was fun. Just the environment. Then the ones in January will more than likely be uh, at the uh, Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office, uh, where we have a good relationship with those guys. And uh, that, that's another thing, man. If anybody's listening, to, you know, from a law enforcement community, you know, the, the the reality is it's very difficult to find law enforcement agencies that will allow non-law enforcement personnel to train on our range. And and 
most of them, it's it's because of liability, or it's because of well, it's actual liability issues as as defined by their insurance. I mean, we all know that that nine times out of ten, there, there's no issues. You know, we're dealing with with people who have a professional mindset and, and come there to seriously train. You know, we, we we get very few of the of the entertainment people in our courses, and what I mean by that are the guys that come just to to, to hang out and. And just shoot guns for the weekend. Like these people are coming to learn skills. They're spending a lot of money. It 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 is expensive to take a course. I mean, other than the course fees, which are expensive in themselves, almost everybody travels to our courses. They have to get a hotel room. Some of them have to book flights or drive the car. Uh, they have food. They have ammo. I mean, it's getting to the point now where the ammo costs are fifty percent to seventy five percent of the equal to the course fee. And then, of course, most of these people have to take off at work. Um, and, and that, that's, you know, most of them, that's the course. So they're, they're paying 200% of the, of the course of the, the price of the course just to go to the course. So they're taking it very seriously. This isn't a vacation. Um, they have a good time, but, but on the forefront of their mind is, is getting good value for their money. So, um, that's generally not an issue for law enforcement ranges, but you know, the bean counters and the, the, the agency attorneys and the insurance guys are like, no, 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 no. Cause if there's an accident, but every once in a blue moon, we'll come across an agency. We just did a course in uh, Pickens County in Georgia. And, man, those guys were unbelievable. They uh, they were just so accommodating and so, I mean, it, it was amazing. Uh, them, of course, Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office here in Louisiana. Um, and there are some other ones around that we've been to. So if you have that stroke in your agency, you know, to, to, to communicate and articulate to the upper echelon of command, it's like, look, first off, these people need training. That, that, I mean, that it just needs to happen. And two, it's it's a community building effort because the it, we want to we want to get rid of that divide, the us versus them of law enforcement. Because just like I know that, you know, ninety eight percent of law enforcement are good guys trying to do a difficult job with with not enough resources. And of course, there's always going to be those bad apples. It's the same thing with the rest of society. Because what is law enforcement? They're just like everybody else. They just happen to wear a different outfit to work. They're pulled from the community. They're people from the community. You got good guys, bad guys, guys that are, that have integrity, guys that cheat on their taxes, guys that cheat on their wives. It's just another small community. Same thing like the military. So if we can start bringing you know quote unquote civilians on the law enforcement ranges and let them shoot, let the law enforcement guys see that yeah these guys aren't a bunch of wing nuts. You know they can come out here and run a gun probably better than you can because they spend their personal money to do it. Um, and then letting the, letting the civilians see hey. You know these guys are being accommodating. They they understand their their role is to is to be a service to the community. So, um, you know, I'll take that little man on the soapbox because man, the, the, to find those good and, and the reality is is if you're going to find a good range, it's either going to be a privately owned commercial range or a law enforcement range because it's you know tax dollars. And at the end of the day, that range belongs to the people. So the people should be able to go there and train. You know, obviously, the, right. uh, law enforcement training should come first in that priority. But those people should be accommodated as much as possible. Yeah, that's a good point. It does belong to the people. They hate when somebody uses the, let's call the authorities. Uh, <laughs> they're not the authorities. They have the authority that you granted them. You're the citizens. They're certainly not the knowledge experts either, because I can tell you the worst person to ask a, a legal question is a cop. And I'll tell you that after 15 years of law enforcement. You want to get a wacky answer about a law, ask a cop. Uh, Brendan also hosts a forums uh, through Nolatac, and uh, John and I just got on there recently. And I started joining them in some discussions. Brendan uh, offered to have us a, a section of the forums for Gunfighter Cast to post episodes and, you know, have people make comments. And, of course, you know, we don't have any issue with that whatsoever. We'd love to be on uh, Null Attack with them and 
uh, we're already on the forum, so might as well bring some more people to that forum and uh, get some better discussions and more quantity of discussions. Where, where can they find that forum at, Brennan? Nolatac, N-O-L-A-T-A-C, forum.com. And it's really kind of designed, uh, again, it was started probably like most forums were started because I didn't like what was going on in other forums. Um, but primarily as a business thing to serve as a communication hub for the courses we host, of course, the indoor range we're about to open, it's going to be kind of the primary uh, communication source for the range. And just as a way to kind of collate all the information from the different projects we have had going on, um, you know, we've got some other outdoor range projects that we're working on, uh, two big projects right now that we'll see where they go. Um, one where we're hosting a course in December and another one that's uh, yet to be announced. But if it, if it goes through like it's looking, it will. It's going to be pretty monumental for this area. It's going to offer things that no one pretty much, to my knowledge, in the surrounding states can offer as far as facilities um, and training and information, and it's, it will be co-located in a very, very, very unique place that will truly make it a destination. So we're really hoping that that pulls off. And of course, the forum will be the the main source of updated information uh, for that, as well as the indoor range. Um, it's uh, my goal is to have it be more informational than uh, discussion based. I mean, obviously, we want to discuss, but I'm not. I prefer it not to be kind of a chit chat, you know, what 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 are you going to wear to school type of type of conversation thing. I I like it to be more professional, serious kind of conversation, and you know we'll see where it goes. I mean, I'm I'm not a big guy that's into to censoring or, or or driving people's thought processes. I want it to organically develop it to whatever it's going to be, but that's kind of my hope for it. I'd like it to truly be a place where if someone has a question, that's the place they go because they know there's people there that that actually know what they're talking about. Um, and a lot of forums started that way really well. And then kind of the signal-to-noise ratio got to the point where it started to be the average person couldn't tell among the personalities that were arguing what was, was truly informational. So um, I've got a group of people on there right now that, that, are, that are pretty knowledgeable, and we'll see where it goes. Hopefully we'll be able to keep it all reined in and may have to start doing some heavy-handed moderating. I'm, ho- I'm hoping not. I'd really like to play by big boy rules, but... But my, most importantly, I want people to go there and know that if they're reading it there, it, it's probably legit information. It may, it may not be what they agree with, but it's factual. Sounds good. All right. Well, everybody knows uh, where you can find Brendan at. Hope you guys tap into that. I'm going to be looking at getting down to one of their courses that Brendan's you know, hosted himself for Haley Strategic Partners. Hopefully, one uh, you know really soon. Whenever I, I get back to the U.S. and get back to my guns and everything. That's pretty much it that uh, you know we wanted to talk about. I hope you guys got something out of it. Uh, we talked about preparedness and a few other things that just kind of came up. Get a pretty good idea of, of Brandon's personality and, and training philosophy. Pretty sound judgment there and pretty good stuff going on. So give him a look at Nolatac uh, website and uh, the Haley Strategic Partners. Brandon, you got anything else? No, man. I just uh, you know ask everybody to just keep a positive attitude. Uh, remember about the law of attraction. If you walk out and think it's going to be a bad day, it probably will. So you just soon walk out and think it's going to be a good day. Um, I know a lot of people that probably listen to this aren't very happy with the uh, the current state of politics. Just again, you know, keep keep your head up. Look for those opportunities to uh, to advance yourself. One one of the things I often say in courses is if next time you're in an airport and you look at the uh, I call them escalators, even though they don't go up, but the little revolving floors. There's two kinds of people who jump on those things. There's the people who jump on them and lean on the rail and hang on for the ride. And there's the people who jump on them and step it out and take advantage of that opportunity to get further, faster. What kind of person are you? 
You know, there's definitely times where we need to stop and take a break for a minute and get a perspective, but there's times we need to step it out and take an opportunity for what it is. And when life presents you those opportunities, go ahead and take them. Step it out. Brennan's used quite a bit of U.S. Marine jargon in this episode, and this is the Marine Corps birthday that we're recording on. So uh, happy birthday to all the Marines out there. Same here. Happy birthday, Marines. Super five. We'll see you next time on Gunfighter Cast, and until then, Gunfighter Cast out.